Okay, welcome back to the Christopher Gavinator show. And we're going to watch, or you're going to listen, Secret ET Based Scubbids. Get your subscription to our box and Best programming in the universe. Today on Cosmic Disclosure, we were with Richard Doty, a retired counterintelligence agent who served in the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Richard was intimately involved with UFO ET-related content. Mm. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Henry. NILA's test and training range is part of Tonopah Air Force Base in Nevada. It's been reported that there was a UFO base located there. What was a UFO base doing within the parameters of an American Air Force Base? Well, go back a little bit. Tonopah Air Force Base is within the NILA's test and training range with Area 51 and including the Nevada test site, which is now the Nevada National Security site. We located a UFO base at Uranium Mountain, which is in a western portion of Nellis Test and Training Range, which was on Tonopah Air Force Base. And we found this when two women in 1983 had contacts with an extraterrestrial race. So what did this contact with these two women have to do uh, with this Air Force Base? Let me go back and tell you the t story. Two women driving on Nevada Route 6, which is north of Nellis Test and Training Range, west of Warm Springs, Nevada, were driving in a September day in 1983 when they saw a spacecraft. They refer to it as spacecraft. The craft landed. They were contacted and they had missing time. They reported this to Nevada law enforcement authorities, Nevada Highway Patrol and the Nye County Sheriff's Office. Nye County Sheriff's and the State Patrol, uh, the Highway Patrol notified Tonopah Air Force Base, the security police desk sergeant, and reported that these two females had seen and a some kind of a craft and they afraid they were afraid that they might have been abducted immediately the security police desk sergeant notified air force office of special investigation i at the time was at groom lake which is about 80 miles away i was notified of it myself and another agent then traveled up it took a couple hours to get to tonopah and then to tonopah nevada not not the airport base there's a ton of Tonopah, Nevada, about 40 miles outside Tonopah Air Base. And we met up with this, with these two females, and they told us a story. Told us that they were traveling. They saw this craft. Uh, the craft landed. They had a contact. They had missing time. And they were afraid that it might have been exposed to radiation. That was their danger. And that was what they told the, the Nevada law enforcement authorities. We transported these two females to Nellis Air Force Base Hospital, where they were examined by uh, military doctors. They were not exposed to any radiation, but they did have strange marks on their bodies. So with their consent, we did a hypnotic interview of them. And during this hypnotic interview, they explained to us that they were transported to this huge facility in a, in a desert location somewhere in Nevada. How they explained it to us 
it was a it was a complex way of we were examining uh, interrogating them and we weren't investi- we weren't interviewing them we were actually interrogating them because under hypnosis you can be more forceful and we were more forceful and they gave us details of a mountain that we knew because we were familiar with Nellis test and training range was in fact Urania mountain which is in the cactus mountain chain of western uh, part of the Nellis test and training range these females during the interview described these beings in clear uh, terminology to them they were hideous looking they had large noses they they referred to the noses as elephant noses and they were tall very tall but they didn't feel harmed. They, they, they weren't hostile. They kept reassuring them in, in some voice. They didn't describe it as telepathy or anything. They heard voices telling them, we're not here to hurt you. We're not going to harm you. But they were in a facility and listening to what they told us as far as the facility, it was a big opening facility they explained to us. And it was some beings walking around and there were rooms that, but they were not in a room. They were in an open air, open area, but they were on a table and they couldn't move. So then we started an investigation and one of the parts of the investigation, we flew over the area some days later in a helicopter. And the first flight over the area, we didn't see anything. We just saw the mountain. There was some testing facilities, uh, east of the mountain range, but we didn't see anything else. But as a helicopter banked to the west, and, and I asked the pilot, let's make one more uh, uh, pass around it, but this time let's go right over the top of the mountain. When we went over the top of the mountain, the mountain had been was open. We could see down into the mountain. I said, my God, look at this. And the other agent on board the helicopter said, that mountain just opened. Because before, we, we, it wasn't open when we flew over it 15 or 20 minutes earlier. Is the opening like a mile or two miles? or? I would say the opening was probably at least a mile. And I didn't know we had a technology to do that, number one. And I thought it was our base. And that's why I tell the helicopter pilot, hey, let's get a little bit lower to look at this. I mean, you know, what kind of base do they have down there? I'm thinking of S4. Right. And I'm thinking of a papoose. And he was a little reluctant to do that because he, he, he didn't know what was down there either. He said, well, I'll get as close as I feel safe because he's a pilot, so he's in control of the aircraft. So we got a little lower, and we could see the distinct s- structures down there. There were like buildings inside here, little buildings all around. There were probably a dozen of these little buildings. They appeared to be rectangle or square structures. They didn't have any uh, a peak roof ter- roofs on it. Uh, there were some reflective something reflective coming up we could see the area was lit up so there was lights down there this they were around the edge of the mountain inside in, inside this hollow mountain and then in the center area it was it was all open and it was some something in that center area that from our altitude i couldn't make out but we figured when i started thinking about it more that was the alien craft that these two women had contact with that mountain opened and that's where that craft went and hot hit. So we flew back to Tonopah. We landed at Tonopah immediately. We went to the base commander's office 
and we asked the base commander, what's going on at Urania Mountain? He said, what are you talking about? I said, do you have anything that you can tell us about Uranium Mountain? He said, no. I said, is that no because we're not cleared or no because you don't know? He got very upset with us. Now, here we are, special agents. We're federal, federal agents, and he's a full bird colonel in the Air Force. And you understand the, the, the mentality a full bird colonel had. Oh, yeah. This is my base. Don't ask me questions about my base. The fact so, he got upset already red flagged it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And I said, well, we need to know because something happened out here. And we, we briefed him on it. He said, I'm not at liberty to discuss it any further. You guys can leave my office. So we said, thank you, sir. And we left his office. Then we immediately responded by sending a, a teletype, the old teletype system, up our chain of command. I said, we need to know what's going on out there. And we need to get permission. Now, he worked for a numbered Air Force commander at Edwards Air Force Base. So we thought, well, we'll go to him. He was general, one-star general, brigadier general, and we'll ask him to get, let that commander give us permission to find out. Well, we went to the general at Edwards Air Force Base. Uh -oh. He didn't know anything about it. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. As far as I know, there's nothing going on out there. So then he went to the KY-3. It's a secure phone. You can talk classified up to top secret over it. He calls him. He said, what's going on at Uranium Mountain? And the colonel tells the general, General, I can't tell you. And again, the general says, you can't tell me because you don't know, or you can't tell me because I'm not briefed. He said, General, I just can't tell you. Now, that upset the general. Now, he's a one-star general. So he tells me, he says, I'm going to get you the security clearance that you need because I'm about ready to relieve that colonel of his command out there. So he made some phone calls. We left and went back to Groom Lake. We'd been on a plane, a T-39, we'd float, flown. Nice. And uh, oh, that was late afternoon and I get a call from my boss and my boss tells me to go up to see the colonel at Tonopah. He's gonna brief you. Wow. So, it was too late that afternoon. We waited the next day. We went up there. He sits down with us. He's red-faced. He knows he's upset. He knows he doesn't want to he do went this. over his head. Right, went yeah. over his head. I said, sir, sir, I'm sorry that I had to do that, but he said, you should have came back to me and asked me again. I said, you said, get out of my office, and we did. He said, there's something going on down there that we don't know about. I said, what are you talking about? He said, listen, it's beyond our capability. You want to go down there, you go down there. But you better take a gun with you. Well, I was carried. We had a, we had carried a 45, a special 45 that OSI had. I said. I was surprised they allowed you to fly over that secured area because I thought that was part of Tonopah, it that, is, that mountain. It is Tonopah. But he didn't know we were flying over it. Oh. He was unaware that we'd flown over it. We got a special mission, uh, a, a lieutenant, a lonely, uh, I think first, I think first lieutenant, got us a mission. We OSI, we need to right. do this. You got a helicopter. Go for it. Right. You got, yeah, you got a HH three. Flew. Um, so I said, well, what are you talking about? We gonna need a gun. What, what is there? Animals down there, or what? Is, what is down? There? What kind of gun do you need us to take? He said, 
an M16. And I said, why would we want to take an M16 down there? He said, you'll find out when you get there. I said, you can't give us any more information than that? He said, I don't know. I really don't know. And I, I felt that he was sincere there, that he didn't know. I said, well, who would we find out? Who would we talk to? So he said, well, the chief of security police. So I went to the chief of security police, who was at the time a major. And I asked the major, I said, you know, we want to go down to Urania. He said, I need to send some troops down there with you. I said, why? What's, go what's going on down there? He said, we really don't know. I said, you want to you tell me in straight words what you're talking about? He said, he looked around the room. He said, let's go into the other room. So we went in the back room. It was like a supply room. He sat down, he looked down on the floor, and he kind of looked around. He said, there's aliens living in that mountain. I said, extraterrestrial aliens. Yep. I said, that's why the mountain opens. Shakes his head. I said, so what are we going to find when we go down there? He said, we weren't even down there once, and we never went back. So I said, you want to climb the mountain? He said, no, 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 there. There's a tunnel, the old uranium mine that is there, and there's a tunnel that leaves the old mine shaft. We had built that, or the, the test site built that for a testing area. They were going to test lasers in it. And when they got a certain point into the mountain, about a mile in, they realized there were visitors there. And this is what he's telling us. So we got out of there. So I said, the United States Air Force, the United States Army is pulling out of a place that you saying, uh, did you actually see him? He said, no, I never saw him. Hmm. So I said, well, I'm going to go down there. So I got a couple agents and there was a security detail of 12 to 15 of them, I believe, security police. And uh, they were armed. I, did, I didn't take an M16. We didn't take it. We had them, but I, and I was Sorry. trained in them, but I didn't take them. I had yeah, my yeah. handgun. Plus you had the whole crew. Yeah, plus those guys are going to protect us. At least I hope. We went down there, we walked in. I mean, we, we went in, and they had it, had erected a huge vault door uh, because of what they found inside. And there was combination locks and so forth, and it took some time for it to get the big vault door open. And the security guys go, there it is. I said, well, you guys going in with us? And they kind of looked at each other. It was a, a lieutenant that was a leader of them. If you insist, I said, have you been here before? He said, yeah. I said, have you seen anything? He shakes his head, yeah. I said, well, I know, what, are, they, are they extraterrestrials? What do they look like? He said, they're pretty hideous looking. I said, did you shoot him or did? No, they never fired at us and we never fired at them. We just got out of there. And, and this is all like a movie plot. Right. right? No, I'm saying, yeah. I'm looking at my age and I don't believe any of that. I right. really seriously sure. don't believe it. Yeah, yeah. I think there was... My my uh, thinking was there's something else down there that they want to scare us away, form of disinformation mm -hmm. that they were trying to pull on us. Right, that's what I would think. And I'm saying, you know what? I actually think you guys know what's there, some kind of secret facility, training facility, or research facility, and you just don't want us to know about it. He said, no, 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 sir. It, 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 I'm telling you. I said, well, let's go. I'm going to see these aliens myself. There wasn't any lights in this tunnel. Once we got beyond the door, it was dark. The only light I could see was the light coming out of the tunnel area or the opening that was in front of us, which was probably another 75 yards in front of us. 
as we kept walking forward, I had a flashlight on, the agent next to me had a flashlight on, and it was flight lights behind us from the security police. As we get closer, we see a light. We see that, that, that something's illuminated in there. And we hear this humming sound. And I asked the lieutenant, I said, what's that? What's that sound? Is that some kind of experiment? He said, I don't know. Seriously, sir, I'm telling you, I don't know. So we closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And I realized something's going in here. Uh, and the, other, the security force stayed their ground. And and they said, the, the, the lieutenant said to me, we got your back, but we're going to go any farther. As I got close to the opening, this being appeared as if he walked around the corner. What I could see from that angle of that position, and I'm about 50 yards from the being, it was tall, over six foot tall, had a very large penetrator coming out of its face, similar to what the, the ladies described as an elephant nose. It wasn't as long as the elephant nose. It came out. And I wasn't sure if it was some kind of a breathing apparatus that was placed right. over their, mm -hmm. their face. I couldn't see the eyes because he's silhouette. The being is silhouetted in the light. I had a flashlight. Flashlight wasn't that strong. I couldn't uh, it totally illuminate the being. Had very long arms. Probably went down to its what I would call its knees. Had very long fingers. It appeared to me to be reptilian looking. Had a, a very long, distorted face, almost as if the being had pop marks or some something else on its face. And I, I thought about this later, and it, the being might have had a, some kind of facial mask on, mm -hmm. and that's what the penetrator sounds was. like. It yes. yeah, because it might be not be able to breathe our atmosphere or maybe too much oxygen or not enough. Didn't ha didn't have any ears that I could see. But again, I'm looking at it and I'm shining a flashlight on it. At that point, I felt discretion is a better part of valor. I never drew my weapon. Uh, the agent next to me, he had more combat experience in Vietnam. He was a Vietnam vet. He did pull his weapon, but he had it down to his side. How was he responding to this encounter? He said to me, we got to be careful of it. He was calm and he said, we got to be careful of that. And I said, I'm not sure if that's just a human dressed up in a suit. He said, you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> he said, that's no human dressed up in a suit. I didn't know this at the time, but he saw other beings behind farther away because he's at a different angle. He's over mm -hmm. here. He's probably three or four feet away from me. And he didn't say that to me at the time, but later on he told me. So then I decided, let's just, let's just get out. Let's just retreat back to the vault door. Was there any communication or sounds going on that you could hear? Uh, was there any movement with the being to show any type of force? When I moved forward, the being moved forward. When I stopped, it stopped. I didn't see it have any weapons in its hand i didn't see any weapons anywhere else uh i didn't hear or, or or detect any voices it wasn't as if it was trying to communicate with me uh i didn't hear anything in my mind i hear i we continue hearing the humming sound i didn't want to move i didn't move any closer 
I backed up a couple steps. It didn't move. And I turned around and went back. Did you casually turn around and walk away? Or was everyone running or any chaos going on there with the crew? We casually. Uh, my partner, Steve, he he looked, he continued looking forward. And like I said, he's a combat veteran. This guy had been in Vietnam, not me, but he was in Vietnam. He engaged enemies. He was more combat oriented than I was. Uh, although I had a lot of training, but I didn't have that type of training. I turned around, I turned my back on the, the being. He didn't, he walked backwards. And when I saw him walking backwards, then I, I turned to my left and, and I realized I better keep an eye. All the time we were moving back another 50 yards to the, to the vault door. And in no time did that being move, the being stood its ground. The being never made any hostile gestures towards us. Its arms are continually down at its side. The being never moved. Uh, and then we shut the, the vault door and, and that was it. So then I went back to the base I talked to the commander. And at this point he said, did you see what I said? Yeah. I said, ETs have penetrated a United States Air Force base, the most secret base on earth. And you guys don't know anything about it. He said, we're working on it. I said, you got a plan? He said, we got a plan. I said, what's the plan? He said, well, we got to coordinate with the highest level. I said, well, what's your plan? He said, well, once we get the plan, we'll let you know. So I went back and I did a long report. I mean, pages of report. And I sent it, the report up. And I figured a couple of days I'd respond back. You know, respond back. I think we got back at 6, 7 o'clock at night. I did a report, sent it up. Uh, I went back to the dorm and uh, came into the office about 6 in the morning. And the, the, we had a security policeman in there that guards the facility. He said, sir, you special agent Doty? I said, yes. He said, you need to call this number as soon as possible. I looked at number. It was a, it was a, uh, Audubon, uh, you know, Audubon, Audubon. Uh, Audubon secure number, sure. DNN number, DSN number. Mm. So I went into the KY called yeah. up and it was, uh, uh, Colonel law who's the commander of uh, counterintelligence for OSI. He said, uh, you need to fly to Washington tomorrow. He said, I got a special mission aircraft that Nellis is going to fly you and this other special agents in Washington. A special mission aircraft. Special mission aircraft. And that's, you know, really unheard of, heard of it. You know, presidential support details, uh, you know, uh, when we were in uh, DEFCON 2 or something like that, maybe. Right. I said, okay. He'll be at Nellis. So I got the other agent. We went out to Nellis the next day. We they flew us. I mean, actually, it was that afternoon. Flew us. We got to Washington, landed at uh, Andrews, went to our uh, OSI headquarters at Bowling. Right. And went into the secure room. Uh-huh. And the Colonel says, We got a major problem out there. I said, Is this something I did, sir? <laughs> I was kind of scared. Of, he's going to chew my butt for something. I, I was so persistent. He said, no, 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 no. You did everything right. He said, they've hit it, hit it on us. Nobody up here knew about it. I said, what? He said, nobody within headquarters staff, Air Force headquarters, Pentagon, knew about it. Secretary of the Air Force didn't know about it. The Secretary of, uh, of 
defense didn't know about it. They keep it very compartmentalized and people don't realize that, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, heads of state and people, uh, even the president might not know about things like this that are going on out there. Plausible deniability, I think it would be. And I said, I can't believe, I can't believe it. He said, I couldn't believe it either. But I started asking questions and so I had to go over and brief the secretary of defense. He's, he was he was outraged. Casper Weinberger, what? He didn't believe any of it. He said, "You you guys are making this up. Is this part of a war game? Is this part of some kind of psychological game?" No, we got proof of it. We saw it. So then the ball kept rolling, and and and, and we briefed. I briefed a couple other uh, uh, people, a group of people, and we went back. And a short time later, we were told that it was going to be taken care of. And I kept asking the question, how is it going to be taken care of? He said, we're going to take care of it. We got nuclear weapons at Nevada test site. We're going to use that facility as a testing of a weapon system. So did you know and follow up on that? Or was that the last briefing that you received on that? That was the last briefing I, I received. Although they had a test and Nevada test site area 20, which is in the northwest portion of the Nevada test site. And they claimed that the detonation of this, of, of this normal routine nuclear weapon that they were testing was going to occur at there, but in actuality, it occurred at Uranium Mountain. Uh-huh. They did it all at Uranium. I don't know. How, I, don't, I wasn't ever privy into how they did it, mm-hmm. how they dropped it, how they placed it in there. But it had to have been some team of people soldiers or something that got it in i don't know i I was never briefed on it i just know that the explosion occurred because we could feel it to where we were at Mm -hmm. do you think there's any repercussions uh for us blowing that mountain up with the extraterrestrial base and craft there did you ever hear of anything negative that came back on us because we did this yes but that would be um something that would be still probably classified. Uh, there was a couple incidents that we felt, uh, we OSI felt was repercussions for it. Although the government, the Air Force itself never readily admitted it, but there was a, some incidents happened, uh, bodies found, things happened, our facilities destroyed. We had a, without going into great detail, we had a very, very, very expensive facility millions and millions of dollars that was located in a remote area, Tonopah, and that was destroyed uh, months after we destroyed that mountain. Now, I don't know for a fact that it was a re- retaliation, but I think the government, and we figured it was. What about the assassination that happened with the portal that opened up during the important meeting and it being came through and pretty much leveled all the officials in the room except for a few? And the two security guards that were outside. That happened at Bowling, a very secure facility, right. hardened facility, wasn't easy to penetrate it. It was underground. Uh, security police guarded it. It was a high-level meeting occurring inside the room. Uh, some of the same people that were uh, had been involved in decision-making regarding Urania was in that room, and a portal opened. Uh, Witness, the, the survivors told us, and a hideous looking being, although I don't know that they ever fully described it, had a light, it was all lit up. 
and it harmed a lot of the people, killed a lot, some and harmed others in that room. Um, so uh, the connection between the two probably. Right. Could you tell me if the colonel or general were, was in that room when that happened? One of them was. Yes, one of them was. Once again, Rick, thank you so much for sharing these amazing stories, and thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Emery. My name's Emery Smith, and this is Cosmic Disclosure. Until next time. Cosmic Disclosure, we are with Richard Doty, a retired counterintelligence agent who served in the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Richard was intimately involved with UFO ET related content. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Emery. Glad to be here. People speak of extraterrestrials being integrated into our society. What do you think about this? I think it's true. They have been. And I have some information about something that occurred some years ago. At Curlin Air Force Base. Oh, okay. The incident at Curlin Air Force Base where they found the bodies? Yes. Oh, what can you tell us about that? An Air Force helicopter flying over in a remote area of Curlin Air Force Base in an area called Coyote Canyon located five bodies lying in a pile. The helicopter pilot, Air Force helicopter pilot, reported it to the base security. Base security law enforcement and Sandy Lab security responded to the scene and found five bodies, all males, unclothed, in a pile in a remote area of the base. The security police immediately notified AFOSI, which included me, and the FBI. We all responded to the scene, and we examined these bodies lying in this pile. What do they look like? They're all male, they're all clothed, and they're in the ages of between uh, 50 and 80 years of age. And they died of, of unknown uh, a, a reason they didn't have any blood in their bodies. There wasn't any blood on the ground. We found a lot of anomalies on the ground that we collected and categorized just like a, a crime scene, so to speak. Right. But the bodies were autopsied at the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology. We had no identities on the body, couldn't identify anything. The fingerprints taken from, from the body was not identified to, identifiable to anyone. So the, the pathologists in Washington found that organs, certain organs from each body was missing, such as a kidney, a prostate, uh, a liver, a spleen, a uh, pancreas, a heart. But the, the organs were removed from the body without any incisions. And the pathologists could, just couldn't understand how that could have happened. They rule out a lot of different things, such as uh, animals, no animals could have done that and what happened to the blood they couldn't figure out what happened to the blood there was no blood on the ground one small spot that we found but 
Other than that, there wasn't any other blood on the ground. And their big, their main question was, how did anyone remove that those organs without an incision? And so an extensive investigation and turned after that. We did find some strange things on the ground, some some something like a gel substance. We found the same gel substance inside one of the bodies. We traced that gel substance to to a person that had been a, uh, in contact with it, an ET, some sometime earlier. That female had the same substance inside her uterus. So now we have a scientific mystery, a scientific mystery that encompassed medical personnel, scientists, and investigators like myself, trying to figure out, number one, who these people were, who these men were, uh, where they come from, and how they got there. The only thing that we could come up with was it had to have been done from the air. The bodies had to have been dropped from the air. Because in that particular section of Coyote Canyon, it's secure. Right. You can't get into it. It, it. Somebody would have had to have special permission to get into that area because there's high-level security gates all over that area. So was it somebody from the base? We did an investigation. We interviewed the people that had a contact. Number one, the area supervisor, the person that had responsibility for that area. There's inter-control point logs. Everyone that entered that area had to sign in with their license number, which was all only the only vehicles allowed in here were the government vehicles. Uh, we also thought about uh, maybe somebody how how they rigged the gate or, or or bypassed the lock on the gate to get in because at, between 12 midnight and six o'clock in the morning there wasn't any security out there. Nothing. We didn't find anything wrong with the locks. We had specialists look at the locks. We analyzed the locks and this and the alarm systems. Nothing was malfunctioning. Then we thought, well, maybe some aircraft flew in this area. You check the radar. We checked radar. We checked the base, the flight logs. Nothing that we knew of got into that area. But the anomaly existed when we went to the civilian air traffic control center at a particular time early in the morning. There was a blimp that appeared on the radar screen. The air traffic control center didn't see anything. They immediately notified the radar approach control in Albuquerque and said, do you have anything flying at a certain altitude? No. Then the object disappeared. So the air traffic control system figured it was uh, it was clutter in the atmosphere or at that particular night there was clouds. So they just dismissed it. Something came from a higher altitude to a lower altitude, dropped off those bodies, and then flew to a higher altitude and got out of there. That's the only way those bodies could have got there. So what does that lead us to? ETs. Why and how did he do that? Well, you worked closely with Dr. Kit Green, and I know he was part of this investigation. What did he have to say about it? Well, he was as, pu- as puzzled as we were. Uh, he examined the bodies. Uh, he did his own uh, very, very extensive examination after the pathologists. He gathered some uh, body tissues and things that the, uh, uh, the pathologist didn't gather. And then he had it analyzed at an independent laboratory, or I should say a secretive laboratory. And there's a lot of things that we found. 
Number one, the material on the bodies or in the organs were not anything that we could identify. The molecules, the, the molecular structure of this substance was not something we'd ever seen before. And that came to the, we came to the conclusion that it was, had to been an ET incident. Why they did what they did, we don't know. Why they took certain organs, at that time, we couldn't figure it out. Later on, people smarter than me, scientists and so forth, started figuring out that the ETs were creating hybrids, hybrid humans, part ET and part humans. And, they, and why they were doing it, we don't know. But they were taking certain organs, taking out certain enzymes and, and, and tissue from those organs and then growing into a, a humanoid or an, a, a hybrid body. And, no, and those, the way that the, the ETs did it, and we don't, I don't know that we, we could figure out how they did it, was planting those the tissue samples and those other things in the body enabled organs similar to human organs grow, but they were hybrids. Right. How long were those bodies out there? If we based on the, the time that the craft, we think, came, was the blip on the radar, so to speak, and then the time they were discovered is about five days. So there was already, what about any animals were nibbling on them? Were the insects already infested on, you know, was there larvae from the flies? Surprisingly, no. No animals, no animal wounds, nothing had been penetrating the skin of any of those humans. Uh, no larva, uh, fly larva had been infested into bodies, which you would normally find in a body that had been uh, subjected to uh, heat of a New Mexico uh, sun and 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 um, the 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 duration of of their uh, of their stay there or the deterioration of the body. These bodies did not show any signs of post postmortem lividity, anything to indicate that they died and a normal uh, deterioration of the body that would occur if a, if, after somebody dies. We couldn't find any of that. Were there any interesting genetic findings on the bodies? They had some anomalies in their body. Uh, uh, somebody, someone had a heart problem. The other person had a kidney problem. One guy had a large prostate. One, one guy had lung problems from, from smoking. There was some something wrong with these five bodies. Uh, but where they came from, we... As far as I know, as of when I left OSI, we could never find or determine where these bodies came from uh, or, or their identities. So how do you think this ties into the ETs that are amongst us? Well, we came to the conclusion that these, these uh, five humans were abducted someplace. We don't know where. And the number of different things were performed on their bodies. More, more like a, 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 a anatomy student or a, or a medical student open up a body for an anatomy lesson. What is the purpose of this? Why do you think the ETs did this? They were trying to develop humanoids through hybrid, the hybrid process. They, they were so advanced uh, technology and probably 
medically, and they knew our bodies. They must have known our bodies. They knew what organs to take out. They knew how to take them out, which was a mystery to us. And they knew what particular uh, of, of how to take those tissue samples out or take those organs out and implant them into to humans. We know that some of the substance found on these and inside these bodies were later found in contactees in their in their uh, vaginal tracts in in their uterus the same exact substance so that is an indication what they were trying to do is make hybrids and i don't know that we ever found out why right. we, know, we know that they were doing it mm -hmm. because we found other evidence there's, there's sure. a, a lot of other other evidence of of bodies dead bodies with the same substance on at other locations that I didn't investigate, but, but that were reported the same, you know, a body found here in the middle of a swamp in, in Louisiana, a body found in, in an isolated uh, location near the, uh, uh, the Canadian border in, in North Dakota that was unclothed, the same exact thing with organs missing. So it wasn't just one incident. It was a number of incidents that are occurring over a period of time, over, over, over several years. And we connected all those, these incidents, to a substance, which is like a jelly form. The gel, substance. right. The gel. Like a hydrophobic type of gel, I've heard. And one of the reports I read, it was used for conductivity um, to get the frequency of that body. And it kind of like, they use some sort of harmonic device, like an x-ray, but they just put on a couple parts of the body and it duplicates the body into circuitry, into like a hard drive that they can take. It's, it's kind of, and that's, that's secondhand information, I'm telling you. Yeah, something, something similar to that. Kit Green developed a really good theory that uh, was something like that, that mm -hmm. at some point, if it wasn't then, it was some time later, maybe a year or so, they did find out that, the, these bodies had a certain certain rhythm, uh, sound rhythm or frequency that were all the same. So wow. somehow the mm -hmm. the ETs f could figure that out or know and knew enough about us that we didn't know because we didn't develop that knowledge that each body had a frequency to sometime later. I mean, right. some years later, and we we de we've developed a way of testing and find out that. Everybody had a, everybody had a different frequency, but the ETs knew it years and years before we did. So they must have been experimenting with our bodies and humans for many years because they knew us. They knew our anatomy, our physiology, and they knew what to take to make other humanoids or hybrids. How did you come to the conclusion that it was a hybrid and not maybe something that was cloned or grown in a laboratory? Well, first of all, we had a lot of top scientists, doctors, pathologists, and others working on this. And it, it was a totality of, of, this, of the evidence that had been gathered over the years. The contactees who had seen things of vats with humans inside of them. And they were, these, these contactees were thoroughly vet vetted to, to determine they were telling the truth. Evidence other th uh, letter agencies found showed that there was an ET race 
experimenting with human bodies. These bodies that were found all over the world, not just the United States, right. but over the world. It was a joint effort, basically. It was all pointed into this, with this evidence, into that direction. Exactly. And all was pointed to a hybrid, a extraterrestrial DNA mixed with human DNA to create something as similar to a human as possible, but yet also extraterrestrial. So what's the agenda on the ET side? Why would they do this? Well, we can, can't get inside the head of the ET, but some of the real smart people figured out it had to been in order for them to mingle with us, walk amongst us in society without us recognizing them. And then some other reason, maybe a, a, a future invasion or some kind of a military type of operation or just surveillance or just keep watch over us. Have they integrated, you know, influential areas of government? That's always the scary portion of this, whether they infiltrated the government, not just uh, the, the Pentagon or, or U.S. Count, uh, a senator, House of Representatives. Other agencies. Other agencies. Corporations. Corporations or even the White House. We don't know. And that's something that scares a lot of people, or scared a lot of people. And eventually, at some point, uh, I think it was late after I had left, but they tried to develop some sort of a method to detect them. And this method was a, once the government, of course, the government, the military had DNA, DNA testing way before society did. And, it, and, and they developed a, with, in, with uh, several different uh, medical institutes and the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, and Kit Green was involved in this, they developed a unique way to test DNA. And, and I don't know how exactly they did that, but they would t test DNA. And if they did the test right, and they had to do it from, I think, from uh, fluids and from skin or something to that effect, they could determine the alien DNA. And, and so the government then had a test. And I, I don't know if they still have it now or they probably re refined it to, to determine it was a counter a counteraction to, to the ETs. Okay, you might be able to make a hybrid, but we're going to detect who they are. That's right. Do you know of any technology uh, that's, you know, Earth-made, man-made uh, that can detect besides the DNA testing? Uh, to spot an extraterrestrial amongst us. Yes, that was that was tested by a number of different agencies and by a number of different institutes. How to classified? It's the frequency. The frequency yeah, one. Yeah. The frequency of, of the the ETs don't have a frequency like we do, and so if we have devices that can test the frequencies of every human being, and if the frequency comes back. If there's no frequency that comes back, we know there's suspicion on that particular person. So, Rick, how does this frequency device work to test if this is an extraterrestrial or this is a human being? What's the science behind it? Well, I'm not sure about the science, but I know they have meters. They were developed in the late 90s and into 2000s, and they detect certain frequencies. Now, one of the things that we test in these or a range of frequencies that humans have. Now, the problem with that is an ET could have a frequency much, much higher than, than a human frequency. 
not each per human has the same frequency. So there has to be a range of frequencies tested in order to determine whether that's a human being. And if the extraterrestrials figure that out, and they're smarter than we are, they might have countered it to develop a frequency that in their bodies that are similar to us or way beyond the spectrum. Now, if they're way beyond the spectrum, they're a dead giveaway because we know that humans only operate within a certain frequency, every human body. And if, if it's beyond that frequency, then we would detect or we would be suspicious of that, that person being an extraterrestrial. Now, what happens after that? I, I don't know. I was never privy to whether they ever arrested anybody or whether they detained anybody, or maybe there's a place in, like in Guantanamo Bay where they're locking them up or area 51 where they're locking them up because they're, they're not human. But I do believe in what you say because we have proof that they can mimic the frequency of human being and walk amongst us. So it's going to be difficult, you know, for them. Uh, I think we do now have higher technologies, like you said, uh, that we had that back in the 90s, early 90s. So who knows what they have today to really spot these beings out there. And they could, if, if the ETs figured it out, they could counteract that and, and, and create something that maybe create a more perfect human right. and maybe a cl totally cloned human being. Now, I, I don't know much about that. I've, I've heard a little bit about humans being cloned, but you know, I, don't, I, I can't really talk about that. I don't know much about that. Everything that I've heard and read involved hybrid, hybrids. Besides frequency, are there other signs that can tell if someone's a hybrid or an extraterrestrial? Yes, brain waves. Measuring brain waves. If you measure the, the, the extraterrestrials have an extremely active brain, more so than a human. And so if you could center them, if, 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 you, if you could detect number one frequency, and then you could confine them to check the brain waves, that would more or less confirm the fact that these, this particular entity was an AT and not a human. Now, you spoke about the military infiltration, possibly, and the Vatican of an extraterrestrial presence. Can you explore that for us? Yeah, there was a military officer some years ago that uh, was suspected of being different, maybe a spy, maybe uh, psychologically unstable. What branch? Air Force. And Position. Uh, he was a high-ranking colonel. Uh, he was colonel uh, in 06 in the, in the Air Force. And... Uh, that he was being watched uh, very, very carefully. And, in, at, and at the point where OSI got a FISA warrant to bug him, and we found out that he was having these strange contacts through some kind of communication system with something else. And then when we confronted him, with OSI confronted him, he admitted that he was, in fact, a hybrid. And what was the red flags for OSI to get involved uh, with this person? His supervisors started questioning what he was doing and why he was doing things. And initially, they thought he was a bit psychologically unstable. Right. Maybe he had a brain tumor or something. Mm -hmm. And so they ruled all that out. They made him go get examined in a brain scan and so forth. And, 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 and that all panned out. He was normal. And then they started really, really watching him. They're just the supervisors, not mm -hmm. law enforcement. And he was doing strange things, going to strange places going, driving his car to a, a point, a certain point and walking up a hill 
and sitting on that hill all night and and things like that, which made them very suspicious of a colonel United States Air Force right. doing these things. So then they got law enforcement involved. There was that's when OSI came in and did their their investigative tactics and FISA warrants and so forth and determined he's talking to somebody. He's communicating with something, possibly alien, possibly. We he didn't admit to what he was talking to? No, he wouldn't. He said he just likes to go for walks. He he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't commit any crimes. But when we started doing the, the surveillance stuff and catching him doing these things. And another odd thing about it, he's never slept. He just didn't sleep. We'd bugged his house. He never slept. He never used his bed. He'd sit in a, in a strange uh, contortionist manner. And... So that that made us think of this, and and one in the report it actually said, we don't believe this person is in fact a human. And when they confronted him and got him in custody, they said, you know, who, what are what are you? And you know, he admitted to he was in fact hybrid, and he'd been and one what kind part. of hybrid. And how did he get to this position? He, and who did it? He he was born. I mean, he was created right. that way. Mm-hmm. He couldn't say. He just knew he was communicating with the grays he knew the grays he was part gray although he was also human too and he was communicating providing them information and he was in fact giving our secrets away to the to the and and in his position i think he was a um something to do with uh, aircraft uh, scheduling and so forth i I don't remember exactly but he was giving all that information away Mm -hmm. even though it was to a extraterrestrial race that's still espionage okay. right was he charged we do investigators turn over to command and they it's up to them to court martial him or whatever and so whatever happened that happened after that i'm sure somebody within osi at the highest level knew but I, I didn't know did he have any family members no he was never married he spent 24 years in the united states air force he grew up in a small town in i believe maryland uh, no maine excuse me maine out of bangor maine when, when we started trying to find uh, his background information, we came up with a dead end. We, we didn't, couldn't find what school he went to or the school he claimed he went to. didn't have any record of him. He did go to college. I don't remember what college it was, but he had college transcripts. He did have, you know, he entered the Air Force and he, he worked his way up to colonel. He's very smart, very intelligent. Uh, but the ironic part uh, that I have to mention is he went to squadron officer school when when he was a, a, a I think a lieutenant uh, or a second lieutenant first lieutenant and one of his the roommate his roommate in squadron officer school commented on a on a um, evaluation you in squadron officer school you have to evaluate each other right. you know after one week you evaluate me I evaluate he evaluated this guy and we found this later he said I don't believe this guy is human. He doesn't, I never seen him sleep. He said that in off school. And, and years later, and that's, you know, 20 some years later, we find that out, but nobody thought that was odd, but he lived alone. The only time he had a room with somebody was he went to some kind of school. And once you make the rank of captain, you're going to room by yourself. You're never going to have a roommate just in squadron officer school. And this one other first Lieutenant said, I don't think this guy's human. I never saw him sleep. Validation. Validation right there, but nobody paid any attention to those valuations. Probably nobody ever read them. Right. 
What about his physical appearance? Was it anything noticeable that was different than us? He was very slender. I think the only thing that I can remember is that he was extremely slender. He had odd-shaped feet, and he had, to, he had to get almost special shoes to fit his feet. And he didn't have any, this is another nobody ever caught. He didn't have any uh, nails on his thumb. He didn't have any thumbnails. Now, I know there's a medical condition that, that, that some people are born without fingernails. I understand that. But he just had, didn't have them on his thumbs. What color were his eyes? Uh, I don't remember what color his eyes were. I don't remember and that. And the, the nose and ear? I, I think normal. they were all normal. normal. Yeah. Oh, he didn't have any hair. He didn't have any facial hair, or he didn't have any hair in his ear, and his ears or nose, like most humans grow hair. That was one of the... And, and Kit Green actually coined a reason for that. Because if you can manipulate a certain portion of your DNA, you can make a bald person, you can make a person without any hair. Right. And, yeah, so... Quite the uh, engineering accomplishment there. Yes. What other ways were you able to determine who is a hybrid and who is not? Well, ironically speaking, the Vatican developed a way. I had a source who worked in the Vatican for 15 years and had extensive knowledge about hybrids. Where they got that from, I don't know. They had thousands of books and they had a number of papers on hybrids and how they were created. And one of the we methods they they found was exposing exposing a hybrid to intense light i mean a really intense light and they can't stand it they can't stand their eyes can't stand it and they can't stand it their skin almost starts peeling so under one particular pope anyone that was going to work in the vatican uh, would have to undergo this test and one particular priest came from, I can't remember what was Argent, if it was Argentina or Brazil, but went to the Vatican to, to, to work there for a period of time. And they test them. They actually tested them. And when that priest was exposed to light, he panicked and they determined that he was, in fact, a hybrid. And obviously, he would, I don't know what they did to him, but he wasn't allowed to work in the in the. Vatican. Was it regular white light or was it some sort of other color? Or I, I, all, I know, light? all I know is an intense light. I, I, that's what my source who worked at the Pentagon told me, intense light. I didn't ask him if it was infrared or ultraviolet or anything like that. Do you think the hybrids that are integrated into our society might be used to possibly facilitate disclosure in the long term? Well, first of all, we have to understand what kind of government agencies knows about it and they're controlling it and i'm not privy to that but i think that's a possibility i think that's a very likely possibility that slowly introduce them you know to society over time exactly slowly introducing them but then you stop to, then you have to stop and think of what repercussion that would cause in society when i me the government telling you your neighbor's a hybrid or the guy that lives behind you is a hybrid, or the guy that you're going to, to work with every day is a hybrid. Or you voted for a hybrid. <laughs> or you voted for a hybrid. So I, I think there's a lot of thought that has to go into that before the, the government would have to re, would release it. But my personal opinion, and, and you can take it the way you want to take it, is there's probably 
thousands and thousands of hybrids out there walking among, amongst us. And, you know, unless you do a complete background investigation on them or check their brain waves or DNA or exposing them to tensile light, or you probably 